It was one of those calls that you don't want to receive. You know the ones that come late at night that you know cannot be good. The ones when you look at your phone to see who might be calling and you just know it's going to be bad news. It was about 13 years ago when my phone rang late on a Saturday night and my friend's name popped up on my ID. My heart sank. You see, I knew she was about 20 weeks pregnant with twins and I couldn't think of any good reason she would be calling me. When I answered the call, I could hear her voice breaking. She told me that they couldn't find a heartbeat in one of the babies. And then they were going to admit her to the hospital so they could keep her on bed rest and observation and to try to keep the other twin in vitro as long as possible. The other baby would not be viable for several more weeks. And the doctors were worried that if they tried to do anything with the stillborn, it might cause trauma for the other twin. So she was going into the hospital indefinitely. And we all began to pray that that remaining twin would continue to grow and develop. Death and life, they're so intertwined in our humanity. It is something I've been holding these last few weeks, this sort of contrast and yet so deeply connected. It is something that I believe was hovering around the procession of Jesus into Jerusalem on that day. And as I've been thinking about Palm Sunday, I keep getting stuck on the why. Why does Jesus parade into Jerusalem? It seems it's just out of character. It's such a contrast to his actions that we read about in all four of the Gospels. Think for a moment of any other time that Jesus has brought attention to his divinity, to the Son of God, to being the beloved. His birth is heralded by angels, but only the shepherds outside Bethlehem hear this. His baptism brings a declaration from the heavens yet only the few that are gathered around the River Jordan hear it. Even John the Baptist, who's been proclaiming his coming of the new Messiah, still has doubts about Jesus. And that moment of transfiguration when Moses and Elijah appear on the mountaintop with Jesus, only three disciples have been invited to be there. And so many of the stories we hear in the Gospels about the miracles and the healing of Jesus, they always end with a phrase somewhere along the lines of, and don't tell anyone. But this parade on Palm Sunday was not spontaneous. It was well planned. It wasn't like lifting the winning coach up on the player's shoulders and carrying him off the field in victory. No, Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. He gave specific instructions for his disciples to go into the next village and fetch a donkey and a colt, and they would find it, and here's what they needed to say to the owners. He entered into Jerusalem in the midst of the high holy days, when many Jewish pilgrims were returning to Jerusalem to worship at the great temple. 
The city was packed, and there would have been plenty of people to watch and participate in this parade. So why is Jesus acting in such a different manner than we have previously seen him? Jesus is constantly teaching his disciples and followers through stories and his own actions how to follow Jesus and be in relationship with others. The stories we will hear just this week in Holy Week speak to this truth. Jesus will turn over the tables outside the temple, expressing his anger at the injustice and commercialization of the temple. He will offer hospitality, even stooping to be a servant to a traitor in his midst at the Last Supper. He will anguish in prayer with God at the Garden of Gethsemane, and he will express compassion to the robbers that hang on both sides of him on the crosses. All of these are ways he models for us for how to love those around us in the most trying of times. So why the parade? What could he possibly be modeling for us? At 29 weeks, my friend was taken into surgery for a C-section. The doctors were concerned that the other twin, who had been growing, seemed to be in some sort of distress, and they decided that now was the time to deliver the baby. He was born at 29 weeks and weighed two pounds and 14 ounces. He was so tiny in his incubator that he literally could fit in the palm of his dad's hand. He stayed in the NICU for about eight weeks and then came home with an oxygen machine for quite a while. But fast forward to today. My godson is a freshman in high school. He's taller than I am. He has a killer pitching arm and excels in class. He has an amazing amount of baseball trivia stacked up in his brain. And he is so compassionate for his sister with special needs. He is truly a miracle. And he is one of the best examples in my life of resurrection. This holding of both life and death that we're called to as Christians is wonderfully shown in our funeral liturgy. The liturgy begins with the great declaration, I am the resurrection and I am the life, says the Lord. A glorious declaration, and yet it's not the whole story because the liturgy continues. We acknowledge our grief and our loss over our beloved. We aren't pretending that all is good now, that our beloved is with God. No, that's not the whole story. We're given the reminders of Christian hope while also holding firmly to the reality of grief and loss. And we do these things together in this sort of dance of Grief and hope and pain all rubbing together. But there are times that hope can feel pretty elusive in life. 
Those are the times when things are at their worst. I always feel like these are the moments in my life that I'm at the bottom of the deep pit. It's dark and it's cold and I am alone. Hope does not seem to be able to find me there very well. And these are the times I think we often ask and even demand from God, proof that God is there. Why have you abandoned me, God? Why am I experiencing such sorrow or grief or trauma? I can't answer the why, but I know, I deeply know that God never abandons us. That hope that is sent, that is God's response to our pain. I have heard from some people that they find this hope outdoors in creation, the beautiful world around us. And I've heard from others that they find hope in music and dance and the arts, those wonderful creative outlets that you feel the spirit swirling around and through you. But in my life, I've often found hope in people. Hope is when a friend drops flowers off at my house after we had lost our beloved dog. I had only called one person, her, before I went to the vet that morning. And when she showed up at our house later that afternoon, she was in tears as I was. And sharing that sorrow with me knowing I wasn't alone, gave me hope. This is why Jesus is parading into Jerusalem, to model for us this difficult dance that we do, holding both hope and grief side by side. Jesus is entering an occupied city full of Roman soldiers. He is entering a city where the religious leaders are plotting his death. He is entering a city where he knows, where he knows he will die an excruciating death. And he shares these moments of hope, moments of rejoicing in God's goodness. This call to see this hope, it's not in a Pollyanna way. We're not out looking for unicorns or pots of gold. We are called as Christians to recognize hope in our world. God knows about living in a harsh reality, and Jesus is telling us there is more. We are not called to ignore the world around us, but rather to recognize that there is more. There are moments of resurrection in amongst the pain and the horror and the harshness of reality. And we are called to be people of resurrection. This is what Jesus tells us from the back of a donkey. Amen.